wasn't so long ago you didn't need very many fingers to count the different styles of basketball sneakers. Those days are long gone and in their place a culture where high-priced kicks mean status, power, and sometimes even big-time bucks. Hey, you know us. We're always on the lookout for new trends and for some of the coolest things I've ever heard of, like StockX, which is a kind of stock market for things, namely limited edition sneakers, watches, handbags, and streetwear. If you are not used to going out and having to buy Jordans or having to buy exclusive sneakers, it can be a hassle. StockX is the best selection of not only new sneakers, but also other things. If you haven't heard of GOAT, you are probably living under a rock. The aftermarket resale of limited edition streetwear and sneakers has become a booming industry worldwide. The people in the culture behind this have been dubbed hype beasts, always chasing after the latest release with the biggest hype. Companies such as StockX and GOAT, which facilitate this market, are worth billions of dollars. In this episode, we'll dive into the history of the hype, how these resellers operate, and the challenges within the industry. My name's Adele. I'm Hamida. And I'm Kristen. You're listening to State of the Pod, live from Ithaca, New York. The streetwear cultural movement began as a way to describe comfortable clothes, originating from the surf and skateboarding culture in California, such as the brand Stussy, which started as a surfboard business that also sold t-shirts. From there, this culture spread across the country, gaining popularity in New York with skateboarding and hip-hop groups. This is where we find Supreme's origins. James Jebbia began the label as a skateboard and clothing shop in New York City. Other pioneers of streetwear include Hiroshi Fujiwara and Nigo, who are credited with the rise of streetwear in Japan in the 1980s. Japan is where we see the first drop, a strategy of releasing limited quantities of new products. This has been most famously adopted by Supreme, who drops every Thursday at 11 a.m. The drop strategy has since spread across streetwear and luxury brands, every company finding success in the limited time offer. Hype culture thrives on the scarcity of products. More hype means more demand, and more demand means more popularity for streetwear companies. With the demand created through limited edition drops, the lucky few who score popular streetwear can make massive profits reselling them to those willing to pay. Sneaker resellers use sites such as Goat, StockX, Grailed, and eBay to reach their customers or sell locally on Twitter, their own websites, or directly to friends. The perks of using sites such as StockX is their authentication process, convenience, and price tracking. Valued at $3.8 billion, the website serves 30 million monthly visitors. In 2020 alone, it moved $1.8 billion worth of merchandise through its 11 authenticity centers. StockX operates as a middleman between sellers and buyers. Buyers state how much they are willing to pay by placing bids, and sellers can put what they will take for an item in the form of asks. Once a buyer pays an ask or a seller accepts a bid, the shoe is sold. Duncan Cady, a current Cornell student, shares his experiences as a buyer. I, I appreciate StockX and the fact that it has so much variety, and it is like genuinely very, very competitive market there. I've never paid ask like the buy now price always you know always bid I always try and you know if I can just kind of like show intention like try and be competitive with it obviously. David Galickman, a Cornell alum, spoke with us about his experiences as a seller. StockX is still it's just so so convenient because the second you sell it, 
you print out a mailing label, you don't have to worry about shipping, you don't have to do all that BS on the side like you have to do with Brailed or, your, or like eBay. Once an item is sold, sellers quickly send their item to StockX's authentication center where they process the item and send it directly to a buyer. This system is completely anonymous and fairly robust. StockX says they authenticate 99.95% of items. StockX requires items to be brand new and still in their original packaging, which can negatively impact sellers. For some of these like high release, high anticipated shoes, they'll have a cool like box. And if the box is damaged, StockX, they'll ship it right back to you. And because like collectors and things like they really want the box. And so that's a pain in the ass because that's not really in your hands. StockX also takes a fee for their services. StockX like tries to incentivize you in selling with them because the more items you sell with them, the less their cut is. So they lower it from like 12% to like 9.5%, like 8 to 6. Like they keep lowering their cut depending on how many items you sold. But the, the number is like of items you have to sell with them is pretty big. In order to retain a lower fee, you need to sell a large number of items within that year. So if you aren't a large reseller, you lose more money. Some argue that StockX's price tracking feature can hinder resellers offline. Buyers can see a shoe's price in real time and can easily pull it up during negotiations, lowering a reseller's profit margin. With StockX dominating the industry, resellers must accept their demands if they want to reach a large and reliable customer base. So how do customers feel about this resale space? So as the sucker I am, I always, always, always get blocked in trying to get them on the draw. A couple years ago, just kind of started like obsessing over like Jordans a lot more, Jordan 1 specifically. And I bit the bullet. I, I have currently three pairs, um, all of which I have bought resale, which is noticeably more expensive than uh, retail price. That's how I've had to get them. And it, it kind of sucks, but that's how a lot of people have to get them. You get screwed, you know? You kind of have to, um, to end up with, you know, these way aftermarket, way overinflated prices. It really does favor the seller. So how do these resellers get such hot items? The answer is through bots. The use of bots started in 2012 when to reserve a pair of Air Jordan Doran Becker 9s, consumers had to directly message Nike's Twitter account. Several tech-savvy sneakerheads wrote scripts to scan Twitter for keywords like Doran Becker and RSVP Now, and then automatically DM'd Nike. With innovation came the RSVP Sniper, which could send hundreds of DMs in a tenth of a second. News about bots spread across forums, and more and more computer-savvy sneakerheads coded and sold bots for updated websites. The way that most of these bots operate is like they go on the website and they just look for a certain keyword or they look for a certain like product number or product code and they just automatically purchase it for you. You enter your credit card information, you enter everything, your billing address, and they just purchase it for you. There are two main types of bots. One, like the Supreme Saint, is maintained on a personal server where the buyer inputs their product, payment, and shipping information ahead of time, and the bot buys one product at its release time. Others, like EasyCop Bot, let users personalize the bot and add features like a delay during the checkout process to full security measures, which allows consumers to buy an unlimited number of items. These days, bots even use paid CAPTCHA solving services to get around them. As bots allow sellers to buy products instantly, they have essentially made manual purchasing impossible. David explains how this affected him. 
I was never able to actually like, manually purchase things from Supreme. Supreme doesn't give a shit. They, they don't care. I mean, they have like bot protection, but it's so hard to get anything like manually from Supreme. I've tried and it's just impossible. And with some of these bots, I was able to get like three hoodies in one day. And that's huge. I mean, with that, I was probably making like three, $400 per hoodie. Sites have tried to counteract bots by changing product names or backend code to prevent their use, which has caused a constant back and forth between bot makers and websites. While the legal status of bots is hazy, companies do have the right to sue, which they usually don't. So some major sneaker brands have adopted raffle-style systems, possibly countering bots effectively for the first time. Nike's Sneakers app raffles off the chance to buy new shoes, a system that has become lucrative for resellers. Brands such as Nike or Adidas control their corner of the industry by determining how many sneakers they release and through what avenues you can purchase them. For new releases, buyers can look towards the brand's website and some third-party retailers for the chance to get their favorite kicks. This raffle system has become the go-to for the best opportunity to score. I've gotten the ability to buy pairs a couple times and like that's super cool and it's like oh my god like this like you know adrenaline rush. It's just kind of addictive because you see on these apps like they're raffling away shoes every like week or every few weeks uh, like shoes that are worth reselling but there's only like once in a while that they're actually profitable. For some of these shoes like they'll have a full size like run of shoes will go for like 30,000 or 50,000 pairs and that's it. And they'll never make that shoe ever again. Nike's raffles are within specific shoe sizes, which has caused David to strategically pick which size to go for. I try not buying my size because then I'll be tempted to keep it. And I've like had that happen a bunch of times. The, re like the real gamble is that it's kind of like a, you know, like a normal distribution of sizes. They'll only have like maybe a few hundred pairs for like a size 13 or 14, even if they like get up that high on the size run. Same thing with like a size three or a size four. Like, so there's gonna be a very like low numbers in those sizes. And then for like a size eight, nine, 10, it's gonna have a like much bigger, uh, much larger amount of those shoes, but also more people are gonna be going for those. So it's kind of, it's tough. If you get shoe sizes that are on different ends of the spectrum, you can also make a lot more money. But then again, not a lot of people will have like a size 14 or 15 shoe. So even though you can make more money, it might take you months to sell it. So there's all these like kind of factors that play into that. Once a reseller manages to get their shoe, the market can be extremely volatile. David shared how he minimizes losses. When you're buying stocks, obviously you can lose money. But when you're entering like shoe raffles on like Nike and Adidas, you can't really lose money because you can always return the shoe. Because yeah, if the shoe flops, or, you know, it's a brick, whatever, like all these like slang terms for it doesn't really resell for anything. You just return it for full price. And I've done that a ton of times where oh, I'd enter a raffle without really researching the shoe and I'm like, oh, I would only make like $10 off of it or I would lose $20 off of it. I'm not going to take that loss. Just return it to them. Nike has free shipping. It's not even like a question. It's so easy to do. The real like sad part is if you like, win one of these raffles for like a super hype shoe that you can get like a thousand bucks resale for and someone like steals it off your doorstep or 
UPS doesn't deliver it or it like gets completely damaged. Nike will refund you your 190, 200 bucks, but obviously you're not gonna make that thousand. Nike has been successful in keeping raffles fair, but the way they operate them is extremely secretive. They have like different ways of like detecting fake accounts and it's all like very secret how Nike codes all this. So you don't know if you're like shadow banned, you can be entering a ton of these raffles and your account could be secretly banned and you don't really know that. There seems to be a constant battle between the actors and the resale market. From brands controlling their releases through raffles or sites with varied bot protection, it's always a gamble if the average consumer or a reseller will get the shoe they want. Sneakers is just one of those industries where like, you can have a genuine talent for understanding the market and talking to people and you know buying and selling and like real entrepreneurship can be put forward. Um, bots kind of have become part of that. Whoever owns the best bots has the best chance of getting the most hyped item and has the biggest chance for profit. David shares that this has caused an additional layer of the market to emerge, bot reselling. There's a whole market just for bots and people resell bots and buy bots and all of the bots are also like limited stock. So all of the best bots, you cannot purchase them for a retail price. If you want to make any like actual money, like you need to get a bot. How do these bots and sellers interact? Each like bot has their own Discord server and through there you can like ask questions and things. Constantly all these bots are like battling each other for being the best. But there's one bot that is like consistently the best one and that's Cybersoul. And that bot, it retails for like 250 pounds, I want to say, like a British developer. And it resells for, I mean, last time I saw it, I don't know what the current price would be, but it was like 35 to $4,000. So like 3,500 to $4,000. And this is like a bot that's consistently hitting basically everything. Reselling bots can be extremely difficult. It gets pretty complicated because it's not just like, physical item you ship it it's done it's like they have it with the bot you have like a key code and some of the bots like the license code is attached to your email address so the email that you used to sell the bot like to buy the bot you might have to like lose your email address it's just a lot of these little like intricacies or if it's like bound to your discord account you have to like also sell the bot with your discord or you just have to have this like the buyer trust you not to like steal the bot back from them because you technically it's still your email address you can have access to it and it's just a bunch of this like stuff that devalues your bot there there's even like discord servers just for buying and reselling bots one of them is called like bot mart and there's another one called title and they're like all these discord servers like battle each other to be the best and be the most secure and usually when you're selling these bots you'd have to use like a middleman which is someone that you send the bot to. It's like a trusted person within that server. You send them your whole bot, your license, your key. They make sure it all checks out. Then the person buying it sends the middleman the money and then they kind of like exchange it. Resellers are constantly finding ways to try and secure more products. David explained that there are groups on messaging services such as Slack and Discord that give advice. These cook groups require a monthly fee to hear their insider information and tips. Some of these groups that do really well and have the best information, entry into those groups will resell. So like a regular like entry to that group costs 50 bucks. 
but it will resell for like 200 bucks. So everything can be resold in this market. And it's like literally everything because everything is like limited access, limited entry. And if there's limited anything, it can be resold for more money. One of the main like benefits of these groups are there would be people that have a really good bot like CyberSoul or one of these like top tier bots that are constantly purchasing things. And they'll sell, like these people would sell you checkout slots. So you would give them your credit card information, billing address, everything. You trust this person with your financial information and they would enter your information into their bots and they would try to buy items for you. And instead of you having to buy the bot or you having to worry about a bunch of stuff, you pay them like 50 bucks on checkout. So only if you buy the item will they charge you money for it. These deals have access to top tier bots and information calls for a lot of trust. We asked David how he manages giving out his information to others. Everyone has like reviews and like rep that you can like look at on Twitter. And, but it, I mean, it's still like, it's a fucking random person online. You don't know this person. What I would do is I would use like, it's called privacy. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's basically just like spoofs credit card numbers. You give them your bank account information and you can spoof a credit card number. And I'd usually use that for most of those kind of things. Unfortunately, he was almost scammed. And this guy that I was like, I've used, I think I like, I use it like a few times. And, but it's like, I'm literally just giving my information out to some random guy. Like I trust them somewhat because I see other people are doing it. And I like remember seeing a purchase for this uh, for this shoe, and I was like, okay, cool. But I got an email showing that it's being shipped. Like I sent them my information; they can do whatever they want with it. It was being shipped to him under his phone number, and I see like a two hundred twenty-six dollars charge on my card. I'm like, oh, that's weird. There's no like recourse that you can really take. I had his phone number, so I like look him up. I like found his name, like address, or whatever associated with the phone number. It was some guy in like in New Jersey, and I like just texted him. I'm like, like just give me my money back. <laughs> and I remember just like t like texting this guy like for a few days, and I'm like, like, but I'm like, there, there's nothing I can do. Like, we would even call the police. And this guy ended up like Venmoing, Venmoing me the money for like the two hundred whatever dollars. I did not think I was gonna get that money. I was very surprised, but I don't even remember what I did. I had, like threatened to call the police or something. And he's like, okay, sorry, bro. Like I'll give you money. I'm like, all right. You can easily like run into scummy people that will try to scam you. I mean, all every part of it is like a gamble. Clearly, there are a lot of pros and cons with the reselling market. The use of bots has made this industry thrive. So are they unfair? Duncan shares his thoughts. Obviously, I hate bots. I hate it because it's like it's very unfair, uh, unfair for just like the average person. It, it always feels like you're just like this really frustrating like wall you're running into um, with buying stuff. The whole like I want it, I'm gonna do everything I can to get it, and then I'm gonna impress all my friends with the fact that I have it. Kind of becomes like, well, no, you just paid some guy however much money who is really good with computers, or oh, you just like wrote a code yourself, like for you like it feels very um it just feels disingenuous david weighed in his thoughts i mean it makes it unfair but it's just like it's just a tool to make it easier and i feel like if you're serious about it 
there's always going to be someone trying to get a leg up. Like there's too much money in this for people to not look for loopholes. And the loopholes are always like, there's always going to be loopholes, no matter if there's bots or not. And one of like the earliest loopholes is just it's like when you backdoor pairs, when you know somebody that works in the company or you know someone that works at the store that are just able to hold aside pairs for you and you just buy it from them. You still pay full price for it, but you have to wait the raffle, you have to wait line. Uh, I mean, years ago, before all these raffles and websites, like people would just be waiting in line for the shoes. And is that fair? Like, also probably not, but it's just all these little ways of like getting a leg up on getting the actual item that you want. Is the industry itself unfair? Some could argue it takes advantage of people. You know, it's one of those industries where it's like, you always know there's gonna be someone like dumber down the line. I, I'm pretty, you know, I buy resale. So in the speaker culture, I'd probably be considered someone pretty far down that line. However, it has allowed entrepreneurship to grow and bots alongside it. This business, it is a like billion dollar industry, not just on the sneaker side. It's not just Adidas and Nike. It is people in their basements. It is, it, it's high schoolers, it's middle schoolers with incredible business skills and incredible networking ability. And so I'm never gonna support bot culture and I'm always gonna be adamant how frustrating it is. It just, it feels bad as like, you know, like, hey, I'm just trying to do my thing. They're just trying to do their thing. It, it's, it's a weird duality. To close out our interview with David, we asked how much he has made and why he joined this industry in the first place. The most I made off of one shoe was I think around $1,100 off of one pair. Travis Scott, Jordan 4s, I want to say. And I just remember like my reaction to actually getting these shoes. Uh, and they were reselling for like 100, not 100, 1,000, $300, $1,400 in the size that I got. And then if you cut out like StockX's fee plus the cost of the actual shoe, it came out to around $1,100 profit. The main thing that was always driving me was just, I want the like option to like have something that other people really want and are not able to get. And with just all these shoes, like they just like look cool. I would never wear them for me, but just to like have them, like be able to like hold them in your hand. I'm like, oh, this is something that only like 30,000 pairs exist of. And it is a big thing. The culture and community in this industry drive people towards it. When I went to middle school, I went to a school where um, you had to wear like, khakis and a polo every day. And I absolutely hated it. it. It killed me. The way that everyone kind of like uh, expressed themselves, you know, pushed back on the rules was shoes. And like for me, it was just like interesting. This whole like ecosystem exists that I never knew about. Honestly, I'm, I'm no expert. I'm just a guy trying to buy some shoes. It's a really unique world. And it's really, really cool to kind of like peel back, you know, the layers and check it out. It's definitely one of those industries and it's definitely one of those, um, one of those like interests that's, um, you know, it's filled with a lot of paywalls. It's filled with a lot of competition. It's filled with a lot of scarcity, obviously. Um, and it's, it's frustrating, you know, it's not always as rewarding. It, it adds to the allure a little bit, you know, you get the pair of shoes that no one has and like no one has, you know, cause now there's bots involved and now there's more and more resellers and all that stuff, you know? I mean, overall, like, it's just fun. Like, it's like a fun hobby. Uh, like I made like 
an okay amount of money, like a total of like four or five grand over a few years. But it's like, I don't really care about the money. It was more just like, it was like a fun thing to do. And it was like a fun thing that I'd be talking about with my roommates. And I would try to get them into it. And they would enter in some of the raffles or like they would ask me to buy them stuff. Uh, you know, I'm always on the look for another pair of shoes. So. Buying and reselling streetwear and sneakers can be an extremely lucrative business. Many look towards these items as signs of wealth, culture, and personal identity. There are many parts at play within the iceberg of hype, and they will only continue to evolve. Thanks for joining us on this exploration of sneaker and streetwear reselling. This has been State of the Pod. Your hosts are Adele Williams, Hamida Mazumder, and me, Kristen Moon. Our lead producer and writer was Adele Williams. Special thanks for this episode goes to David Galickman and Duncan Cady, as well as the Milstein Lab for our recording equipment and software. See you next time.